0: Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mary's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about high-risk cybersecurity and all sorts of ways to prevent the challenges that we have with not only as consumers dealing with big companies, but the big companies in dealing with their own employees. And we are welcoming back one of my very favorite guests, one of my very favorite people, Patty Titus. She is an incredible CISO and security advisor, and she's currently serving on the board of advisors for Morphic, which is a startup cybersecurity company, and Guardian Global, a worldwide services company. She's a distinguished fellow at the Poneman Institute, and she serves on the Visual Privacy Advisory Council for 3M, focusing on visual hacking issues. Patty Titus was the Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Freddie Mac, Symantec, Unisys Corporation, and the Transportation Security Administration within the Department of Homeland Security. She focused on transforming, implementing, and maintaining the most robust IT security programs, and I am just in awe of her brilliance and her great sense of humor, and we thank you so much for joining us all the way from the East Coast, Patty.
2: Oh, thanks, Mari. That's great. And just to be sure, um, I am a Chief Information Security Officer. The
1: CIOs of
2: the world might be upset if I didn't clarify that. Oh, I thought
1: I said CISO, yeah. I'm sorry, CISO. Thank you for clarifying that. So Patty, first of all, there aren't that many women in technology that have the expertise that you have. How is it that you became such a techie and have this expertise?
2: Well, I like to uh, I like to blame it on being the youngest of five in a family that was very very oriented on we worked on cars. We we were really a DIY house. We were a do-it-yourself house. And so <laughs> um, I always was a bit of a tomboy growing up. I like to get involved in things that were technical. And at the time, it was more mechanics than engineering. As I escaped from my Minnesota roots and went on to join the military and um, did some other things, I really found that technology was very interesting to me. It was always a challenge to, to grasp the concepts um, from the early days when I was working at a company working on migrating our customers from X-25 to frame relay to asynchronous transfer mode, very techie terms, but basically moving people from one technology platform to a faster one. Um, I really became um, interested, and I have to say, I had a lot of encouragement from men in my life to pursue this career field, so um, I actually attribute a lot of my success in my current career path as a chief information security officer to John Stewart, who is the chief security officer at Cisco Systems. So he gave me a lot of encouragement, along with others, to uh, to come into this field. And a lot of my experience, Mari, is just plain old OJT on the job training. So um, I, I got most of my training in the School of Hard Knocks, better known as in the field.
1: Yeah, but I think that's so wonderful because look at the incredible experience that you have. And you are really um, a role model for so many women now getting into technology. And I'm just so honored to have you as a friend because I think it's wonderful. Thanks, Mari. Well, you've held some very important security uh, positions in the IT area. Um, In this day and age, that is such a tough place to be. I know that companies are going to look to you to ensure that they're not going to have a security breach or they're not going to have some kind of privacy violation. So, can you really guarantee that a company can be absolutely safe from hacking? Well,
2: I once worked for a CEO, and his comment to me was, go make me bulletproof. (laughs) Um, And bulletproof to me meant I should have handed in my resignation immediately. (laughs) So there is no 100% safe and secure today. And today's on-demand and the Internet of Things and big data and cloud computing, it's so difficult to assure anybody 100%. But I will tell you there's a lot of great, control standards and techniques that if a company has the appetite to listen, there are a lot of ways to close down a lot of the vulnerabilities that allow these hackers to get a foothold into your environment. Um, But it is a a difficult position to be in, but um, one that I think based on our technology, we have the capabilities to get, Visibility into our into our computing and our digital world, uh, but the bigger piece of the puzzle, Mari, is really the people. So it's really important that the company um, listen to their security experts and that the company be positioned and ready to go on this cybersecurity journey together and. And most CISOs, you know, we do a lot of awareness training and threat briefings and here's what's happening, situational awareness. And we try to bring that technical intelligence information and put it into candid terminology and make make it real to our employees and to the people we're trying to protect. Because practicing good cybersecurity when you're at work should spill over into your personal digital world. And and that's really what CISO's goals are, is, yep, our first job is to protect our companies, but our next job is to protect the people and help them understand why you don't want them to click on an email from someplace that they don't know. Uh, you don't want people to fall prey to the scammers that are out there trying to tell them via email, they have an IRS refund, click here and give me your bank routing information. And people fall prey to that day after day after day. Um, And that just means that we've got to continue to be vigilant in, in educating people about the threat and that it's happening every day to our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, um, and big companies it's yes. not just you know the little companies that are getting attacked. it's big companies, and uh people who should know better are still clicking on links yeah.
1: um,
2: it's it, it, there is no one hundred percent um I think there are a lot of great tools and capabilities though to get you closer to that um closer to that silver bullet. Um, than we've ever been able to get to before. But it means a significant investment in time and resources and just raw and sheer will to want to be secure. Yeah, I think um, it's... And it really means, Mari, a top-down approach from the CEO all the way to, to the newest employee in the company. It's got to permeate throughout the entire corporation and on top of that, we've now been recognizing that we've got this whole part, this whole third-party vendor management, so it's not just our people we have to worry about. It's other companies that are connected to us, our business partners, um, consumers, if we happen to be in a consumer bank or retail, it's our consumers that are also touching our environment, and we've got to figure out how to ensure their security as well when they're using our online resources or point of sales machines. Those are the little machines you use when you're checking out at a retail store or the grocery store or even a gas pump. They're all subject to potential vulnerabilities and we have to help educate people about that.
1: It, it is, seems so overwhelming and I know that a lot of companies, like you say, it has to come from the top down. And has there been more resources applied to the IT department and this and the chief information security officers because of all of the security breaches? Do you see any more resources being allocated to that area? Because it used to be the marketing department got all the money, right?
2: It, it did. Um, the marketing and the sales guys got all the money because companies are in business to generate revenue. So that's their first priority. Um, I, I, I'm seeing... I'm hearing, let me put it this way, I'm hearing that, yes, we're investing more in security, but I'm not really sure what that means from a tangible number perspective. Uh, Some companies I've talked to said we've increased our security spending 50%, which sounds great, but if they had 0% spending before, they're halfway to the bar, right? Right. So it's a hard watermark to, to tell if, if there are more resources going into this. Companies are frightened, though, right now. There is this big fear factor that's uh, moved up all the way to the board of directors in major corporations where they want to understand what is happening from a security perspective in their companies. Um, You're seeing the boards trying to become more cybersecurity literate. Um, I've been reached out a few times from companies Wanting my expertise on their board. So they really are gaining this appetite for knowledge in the cybersecurity space. Um, but I think the big problem is the CISO really still does not have a seat at the table. They really don't have the right reporting structure. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't report to the CIO. But what I'm saying is there should also be a line of reporting directly to the CEO, meaning it's a split reporting structure. Uh, Because so much of their work in so many of the vertical markets are with the IT department, that it's just a natural relationship, either from a peer relationship or as a subordinate. But the critical factor is visibility has got to be at the CEO and board of directors level. And and that it really is the job of the CISO to educate the board. And if the board's doing it right, that CISO is spending a lot of time with them to bring them up to speed. In many cases, they shouldn't have to bring in outside advisors. They should be relying on that CISO or the CISOs of the companies that they work at because a lot of the board of directors have their own companies that have their own CISOs. Um, and so... You know, spending time and getting educated, but I think the the big problem with that, Mari, and I, I can I continually read about this is CISOs don't have a board level capability. Yes, but talking to people that don't understand information security can be very difficult for a professional or a real heavy techie person to translate that into business talk or business lingo, and, you know, you get somebody that sits in the room and starts talking about, you know, denial of service attacks and DNS rerouting and (laughs) and eyes will glaze over very quickly. But when you get somebody in the room that can explain it in business terms, that's where you have the most successful CISOs.
1: Well, yeah. not only that, Patty, I mean, th- the reality is this. Not all of them have the kind of personality like you do that can explain and can be engaging. I, I've spoken with other CISOs that, that, you know, they're so techie. Not only do they not are they not able to translate, they're not social people. They, you know, they're more introverts. So the good thing that you have is not only are you techie, but you have the ability to, to socialize with people and to, to meet on a human to human level, and so I think that's part of it. Is they just don't have the um, they don't have the training, they don't have the personality, and they don't they don't have the ability to translate like what you're talking about. So we just have to replicate you about a million times. <laughs> 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 that might
2: scare my family a lot, including my husband. Yeah, we'll just clone you. <laughs> I think you're right. One of the one of the things when I'm mentoring people into this um, role, and I do a lot with the uh, ISSA organization, as well as with the Executive Women's Forum, doing mentoring programs. And when I talk to people in these roles, and they say, "Well, what advice would you give me from an educational perspective?" Um, although my educational background is very eclectic, and, and I did not finish my college degree. I had a lot of college, just never applied it to a degree because I lived overseas in some locations where I couldn't go to college. They they didn't have an extension in, uh, in, uh, in Africa, and it made it very difficult for me <laughs> and Saudi Arabia to pick up additional classes and keep my education going. But one of the things that I hone in on for people is it's very important for you to take business classes. You have to understand the operations and business that your company is involved in in order for you to be able to take that risk that you're seeing from a technology perspective and turn that into business risk. And that takes a different level of education. And I've been very fortunate in my jobs that I have been educated in areas where I had weaknesses. I was able to pick those skills up. And it, like I said, it didn't. It came from the school of hard knocks, um, and and but it's important that uh, people figure out. And if you're not, you don't have the interpersonal skills, then your job is as a CISO. And this is a, this is a, a basic leadership principle. And I think you'll agree, Mari, is you need to hire people that have strengths where yes. you have weaknesses. Exactly. So you've got to recognize that. If you don't speak in plain English or you're not capable of it or you don't have the interpersonal skills, either you can try to acquire them or you can hire somebody that has them. Yes. And they become the spokesperson or that cultural ambassador to help drive change in your company. So you're right. I absolutely love to be around people. I feel like I've worked very hard at, at being able to have a conversation and, and equate situations and problems into layman's terms and tell a story because sometimes your story goes further than talking about a DDoS attack that you had or a DNS rerouting. Um, but talking about the mechanics of it, talking about that in a real world terminology where, you know, we couldn't perform our business because our business Website was being flooded with information, and our equipment couldn't handle it. Yeah. People would understand that much better than me saying we had a DDoS attack. Exactly. Um, so, so I really think people need to recognize their weaknesses and their strengths, and hone in on the strengths, and then try to look for people on their teams that can can um, can be the the fill those gaps. There isn't a single person really in the world that's got it all in in one package. You've really got to um, you've got to look for good
1: people to right. support you. You got to have a good team, and you know we're sitting here on the campus at the University of California, and there are a lot of you know we have a lot of technology, we have a big business school here, and they're really pushing at UCI to develop people who can work in the system so this is such great great advice you know let's look a little bit more about advice you know we are we have a lot of startups in technology we have our own little mini Silicon Valley and Aliso Viejo and so what kinds of important advice besides the training about getting in to speak with the CEO and speaking with the board and making it understandable what are some of the important technology issues that um, that you would give to a, a startup that's worried about security and privacy?
2: Well, so the most important thing for these startup companies, um, any startup company, is you have to think about the intellectual property that you're developing. So um, a lot of these, I like to call them the garage companies, um, thinking back at the uh, Microsoft startup and how that all happened, um You know, when you're creating a company, you've got to start thinking about security the minute you think about your business plan. Yes. So how am I going to protect the intellectual property I'm developing or the source code I'm developing or whatever the secret sauce of my company is? First and foremost, you need to think about security and how you're going to approach it. How are you going to protect what you're creating? Um, And so you've got to get smart quick. Um, and bring in either someone to advise you, um, buy a service if you have to. Uh, I see so many companies that have created great ideas, and it's all been developed on an open platform like Google Collaboration or some other, you know, Dropbox, and they're sharing information, Mm. and there's no security wrapped around it, and before you know it, a foreign government or a foreign entity has come up with the same idea before mm-hmm. they even get it out to market. Someone has stolen it and, and designed it before they can get it to market. Mm, and gorgeous. it's sad, but it's where we're at in the United States is we are, we're not securing our intellectual property well enough, and it's getting into the hands of foreign uh, companies and foreign governments, and they're creating the products before we can come to market with them. Really? So that's the f- my first bit of advice now, from a technology perspective, are you would you like more information, um, Mari, about what technology things? I'm seeing gaps in the market. Yes, yes, I think um, that would be great. Want to
1: touch there a little bit? Sure, that would be perfect.
2: Yeah. So, um, so I'm fortunate here in the Northern Virginia corridor that we have an organization called Mach Thirty Seven, and I know in San Diego you have the Cyber Hive and other innovative areas. Um, so. These c- cybersecurity incubator um, companies, um, I like to be involved in them for a lot of reasons. Most important, I want to see what uh, the newer generations are thinking about. And not all these startup companies are f- are founded by by uh, young folks coming out of college, But uh, but the new ideas that people are having. Or, you know, some of us old-timers that have been doing this for a long time and have gotten so frustrated over the years because... I couldn't solve this problem. Um, and I'm seeing some real unique things coming out in the marketplace now um, to help with identity and access management. One company I've been working with um, is looking at how to implement role-based or attribute-based access control versus role-based.
0: Hmm.
1: And um, So what does that mean, Patty? What What, what does that really mean? Well, so when I join a
2: company, you get assigned a job title, and your HR department says, okay, Patty Titus, you're in IT and security. Here are the access that you get to applications. You can access this financial system, this HR system, these IT systems. Right. And so that's role-based, and most companies use role based to assign basic access when you join a company. Right. Attribute is more granular. So it is, you know, if I were to take it to a very simplistic measure, it would say you're a woman, you're five foot six, you have brown eyes, you get access to this. But it takes characteristics huh. instead of just looking at the job you're assigned.
1: So each individual it's, it's very, it, it's it's very a unique more
2: granular way yeah, to yeah Grant access right and it gets us out of the old um, problem that we have with relying on our HR systems which are not current and present hmm. which is what creates really a vulnerability in our environment. so if I quit my job today the identity and access management system has to be notified to take away all my access. Because I'm leaving the company, but my manager has to physically go into an HR system, say that I quit today, and that kicks off this whole identity and access management uh, removal of my access.
1: Now, but are they also using? Are they also using biometrics like an iris scan or thumbprint? No, companies
2: or are not; they're not that sophisticated yet. They will um, in high security areas, like. Certain data center floors will have biometrics to gain access through the doors. Right. But if you think about all these independent access systems, it now creates such a a difficult paradigm for uh, the security office to remove access for people because now you've got to know everything they have access to. So do they have access to that super secret room with the biometric and the retinal scan? Or do they just have basic access? Hmm. So there's been a lot of innovation in those areas to try to get better. Um, the, the great thing about the new technologies coming out is they're starting to expose other problems, which are business process problems. Hmm. So while they're creating new technology, they're finding business process problems, and and which is excellent because then it gives a company the ability to fix the business process problems while they're adopting this new technology so they can go hand in hand and really create a stronger security program.
1: Well, you know, this goes to an issue we've been talking a lot about, cybersecurity and all the wonderful um, tools of technology that you have, but... Everything I read, and I know you and I have talked about this before, is the human factor is is a real problem. We don't have a lot of time, but let's talk about the challenges with the human factor, whether it's a malicious insider or just someone who's careless and doesn't even know the difference.
2: So, big difference between the two, right? So, right. the malicious insider, Mari, you can put up all the bells and whistles and guards and guns that you have at your at your disposal, and a bad person. It is going to figure out how to get what they want. And and I say that because you and I are on the Visual Privacy Advisory Council together. And we both know that visual hacking takes many forms. And there is no way that technology is going to stop somebody from copying down account information if they happen to be in a financial institution with pen and paper. Right. So we can do everything with technology that we want to try to stop them from digitally taking it. We can put surveillance cameras up to monitor what they're doing, but you can't take a pen and a paper away from a person doing their job. I really. guess you could. A little draconian. <laughs> so but and, really but bad yeah. people who <laughs> really have ill intent. Right. Um, you're not going to, You're there. there is
1: almost
2: no way to stop someone who really wants to get information. Right. But I will tell you that the person, you don't want to create a window of opportunity for people who might not do bad things to all of a sudden think about doing bad things. Meaning, if, if I have a, an open floor space and I've moved all of my people there and I've got one person working on super sensitive information, and I haven't done any sort of barrier protection for them so that people around them can see their monitor and could view what they're viewing. Right. That could give an opportunity for someone who may be a casual shoulder surfing to say, wow, that's really cool information. I could copy that down and sell it on the Internet and make some money, and they would never know it was me. And so you don't want to create opportunity as you're looking to create more collaborative space or things like that. And, and that insider threat is growing so quickly because we're becoming so digitally enabled and people want data on demand and they're, they want access wherever they are from whatever device they have that companies are, are basically giving up and saying, well, if we don't do this, you know uh, people won't want to work here
1: exactly Well, there's
2: ways to do it and keep it protected yeah and and that's really where the problem comes in so these the malicious insiders um you can put tools and techniques to monitor their behavior and hopefully catch them but the 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 poor insider that is just trying to do their job because they don't have the right tools in the office so Let's say you and I want to share a contract and you work for a different company or even you're my lawyer and I'm I'm asking you to review a contract and I put it up in Dropbox, it's corporate sensitive information and I'm not using a secure manner to share that. And I put you at risk from a client attorney privileged. So, you know, this really gets to I'm trying to do my job but my company hasn't given me the tools to be able to do it and I've asked for the tool, and the CIO is refusing to, to give me a capability to do secured, you know, collaboration. And
1: i got to get my job done. At the
2: end of the day, I'm going to get fired if I don't get it done.
1: Right. Now, you know what? We are just out of time, Patty, so I just have to have you back again for to. Thank you for all of your great wisdom, and it is really time for us to go. So we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Patty. All right. Thank you, Mari. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Thanks.
2: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.